Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, pop culture, and the royal family, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Rebecca Stewart, Europe Brand Editor at Adweek, and today I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Liz Corona, Adweek's Community Editor. How are you, Liz? I'm good, my friend. How are you doing? Very good. Very excited for today's episode. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, so as we've all seen, the future season of The Crown is being written in real time before our very eyes. And by the time this reaches your ears, the UK will officially have a new king, and that is, of course, King Charles. And this is a historical moment in the UK because it ushers in a new era for the institution and ultimately the brand that is the royal family, which in case listeners have missed it, has been grabbing quite a lot of headlines recently. Shout out to Prince Harry. So joining us today to discuss the royal family's relationship with the press and also how Charles might rebrand it for a more modern era, we have publicist and PR guru Mark Burkowski and our very own American in London, Adweek's creativity editor, Brittany Kiefer. Welcome both. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes, fine. So far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, so, yes, we have a new king. And I think this is a super interesting topic to discuss um, because it's an interesting one for our US listeners. But before we get into the the palace press machine spare and the nitty gritty. I want to talk a little bit about how brands have been marking the coronation. And I had a look and brands have been on this for a long time. So during the 1937 crowning of King George, there were commemorative beer cans, um, which were really novel at the time. And then similarly for the Queen uh, in 1953, we saw brands like Cadbury's and Lyle's Golden Syrup make like little collectible um, edition wrappers and things like that. But this time around, it's a little different. Um, things have really moved on in the past 70 years. So Britt, what have you seen in terms of how brands have marked the coronation? Well, a few that stood out to me were there's some un- uh, more expected ones like Walkers, which is the chips brand known as Lay's in the U.S. They rolled out some special flavors for the coronation. 
Um, some took more, seem to be taking more of an experiential route. So Tesco's, the supermarket brand has opened its first pop-up pub and uh, the prices are supposed to be really low and they're going to be offering proceeds to a charity called the Prince's Trust. Um, and then my favorite one was the chocolate brand Celebrations created a giant chocolate sculpture of King Charles's bust. <laughs> I think it weighs, weighs over. Yeah, it was disturbing. I sent it to a lot of my friends. It weighs over 50 pounds. So you can't actually buy it, but I think they're auctioning it off. Um, but yeah, what have you seen? Well, I was interested to hear from Mark, actually, because there's, you know, with coronations comes a lot of pomp and ceremony. But amid like the cost of living crisis and a focus on sustainability, which is one of Charles' kind of big passions, the royals dialed it down a little. So, Mark, what conscious decisions um, has King Charles made about his coronation uh, from like a PR perspective? Well, from my my point of view, and I guess I'm the veteran here, um, I, I, I don't see... Uh, a sort of uh, huge amount of noise happening from people diving in to exploit um, the coronation. And I think that's really mm. quite significant considering, I think, the ambivalence of the key audience of 18 to 24s who are just indifferent about the royal family and uh, taking away the soap opera and the backdrop of Spare and the whole Meghan and Harry versus Catherine and Will. Uh, and the noise that surrounded that, certainly for the last three or four years, um, I think that there is a profound uh, understatement at the moment, um, simply because we're not quite sure how we should look at the royal family. Yes, for the boomers um, who've grown up with uh, the monarchy, and um, and yes, there was a huge amount of uh, uh, a noise around the death of the Queen, as there should be, uh, her passing, you know, with many people paying homage and pilgrimage to that queue, the great David Beckham and personalities who did queue and personalities who didn't. Um, but I, I think that there's, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real sense of um, uh, a, a, an identity crisis for the royal family of how with all the sort of, um, sort of interests that might surround of slavery, the colonial past, many of the issues that have been brought up by Meghan and Harry, um, that I think they're going to let the event speak for itself. I mean, UK populists love, adore Republic holiday. And, um, you know, from my own um, experience of everybody working for me, I've, everybody's taking their leave off and having a good week off around this. I think Britain commercially is going to come to a grinding stop. Um, but the coronation, I'm told, first time around, um, when the Queen Elizabeth was coronated, um, the weather was miserable. And uh, long-range feather forecasts with public holidays in this country usually signifies bad weather. Um, so I think we're <laughs> going to see a lot of flag-waving. I think we're going to see a lot of um, old-school reverence to the royal family. But I think the real work is not so much about how the event is um, is used by the royal family to identify themselves. Um, but I think it's quite mooted. Um, even the rumours about 
who was going to take part in this 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 um, con um, in in terms of this concert that's going to go with it? There seemed to be more um, interest in the jubilee than there is in the coronation. So mm -hmm. I suspect it's going to build up. But they seem to be controlling the message. They seem to be in a sense, trying to people to focus on what this event is, and it's going to be a true demonstration of soft power, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Liz, we were talking beforehand, um, and you know, from like the US perspective, you were quite intrigued by the Royals' relationship with the press and like how that works. And I, I think you raised some interesting points around that. Yeah. So, you know, in watching the Harry and Meghan Netflix documentary and just kind of getting an inside look at, you know, all these lawsuits and really just getting the, the story behind everything, um, what we learned for, as from the viewers, um, as a viewer, so it seems like there was a system in place between the royal family and the press slash the tabloids in feeding them storylines and just making sure that there's, you know, constant communication. And it seemed that it was set up to mutually benefit both parties. But as we've seen in, in the documentary, um, Harry explains that it was at some point turned around and then used against his wife, Megan. So this is very interesting, Mark, um, that you said, you know, you think they're controlling the message. It seems to be very different from the setup that Harry talked about in the documentary. I would love to get your, your take on that. And if you have a little bit of background on that agreement. Um, look, I mean, what we're seeing from Harry is a wounded uh, human being. I mean, that was a sort of visceral attack. Um, and the, uh, the, 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 the book was a huge um, piece of his own truth. Um, and for global audiences, um, because he has worked so hard and his wife has worked so hard with the media, um, we're getting a big, you know, sort of perspective on that. Um, before the, whilst the Queen was alive, um, there has been a lot of fundamental changes to the way the royal family has interacted with the media. I mean, certainly up until Princess Diana's, um, entrance into the game alongside Fergie, um, Sarah Ferguson, who then married, uh, Charles's brother, Prince Andrew, um, they really disrupted everything um, because it was really very much control and command. Um, there was no real engagement with the media and the royal family was driven by, you know, never explain, never complain, uh, look up, look out, say less, do more. Um, but of course, that couldn't work with explosion, particularly the Murdoch media and the tabloids. And Diana sold newspapers. I mean, she was legacy media clickbait. Um, if you ran Diana on the cover, and to a certain extent, she was very adept at actually learning herself how to use the media and have her own um, sort of friends um, that she used. It completely, she used that television moment to talk about, you know, the affair that her husband was having with Camilla, describing it a marriage of three, and it completely up terms. The royal family went through a number of fundamental organizational changes and brought in some very big thinkers and professionals and completely changed their attitude to the media. I don't buy into um, Harry's narrative on the media. I get it, why he is what he is. Um, his father didn't have a particularly um, you know, strong upbringing, um, very hands-off upbringing, so did he. 
Um, he is now channeling a narrative, a, a post-rational narrative about this treatment of his mother, destroyed by the paparazzi media. And fundamentally, across the world, one of the most popular pieces that's redefined for foreign audiences, the royal family, is The Crown. That's what I was... No, which, which is a drama, not a documentary. <laughs> but to thousands of people, it is, of course, a documentary. Uh, it's utter hokum. Um, and the royal family have struggled. They really, really struggled in containing um, Harry. And this indifference, and I think there's a, a recent YouGov poll um, to, to say just how, in, how indifferent young people are to the royal family. And that is the problem. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. What does the royal family, and what post the coronation will the royal family stand for in a very complicated world? Despite the fact that Charles was ahead of the game with his environmental message, particularly around global warming, um, and um, was sort of ignored and, and, and called a tree hugger and was seen as a, a, a bit of a loon. Um, but of course, he he cared passionately, deeply for it. But it's a game of aesthetics now, and um, I don't believe someone of his vintage in his seventies um, really is a caretaker king. Um, the work of the brand has got to be done by a successor. Many people, I'm talking, I do a lot of commentary um, about this subject to countries all over the world, and. After the death of the Queen, they all expected uh, William to take the throne. Um, and that was a fundable you know, problem that royal family still have a very uh, dysfunctional relationship with the British media. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting there, like several times you mentioned the word brand and ultimately the royal family are a brand. They're a PR machine and they have to be received well by, as you said, Mark, global audiences, not just UK ones. And Brett, I'm keen to hear, you know, you're an American living in the UK. You're also a millennial. You watch The Crown. <laughs> Big fan of The Crown. <laughs> What's your perception of the royals? And, you know, as someone that covers a lot of brands and creative, what would you think that they need to do to to rebrand and become a bit more modern well my perspective on the royals definitely shifted when I moved here to London about eight years ago and it's I think that a lot of Americans see the royals as it's another form of celebrity so they follow it the same way they might follow the Kardashians um, but when you're living here and you understand the issues a bit more, um, it, it's left a distaste in my mouth as it has with a lot of people. And I was really struck by even, you know, every time there's a big royal event, I get texts from family members and friends in the U.S. like, what do I think of this? And I've been struck by over the past year where there's been a lot of events like the, the Jubilee and then the Queen's death and now the coronation. I've noticed a shift in tone even among Americans. And I don't know if... Um, how much the Harry and Meghan documentary has fueled that or the book Spare, but there's been a lot of um, a mixed reaction to both of those things. And I think that it's also coming at a time where, you know, we are facing a cost of living crisis and a lot of big global economic issues. And 
I remember a video that went around Twitter. I don't even remember when it was actually filmed, but it was, you know, King Charles sitting on a gold throne. And this was circulating at a time when we were talking about the energy crisis and strikes and, you know, just general um, dissatisfaction with the state of the world. And that just doesn't play well on social media. Um, but it's interesting how on the opposite end, you see Harry and Meghan trying to um, speak to some of these issues, but not quite landing. Like, it didn't seem that everyone really liked the documentary and the and the memoir and the tone that was taken, because it to me, it doesn't seem very authentic and not everyone is um, reacting to it as a genuine form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if people just see behind the curtain more now with the rise of social media and if that kind of celebrity just doesn't play as well in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm curious to uh, see, <clears throat> and now that we're talking about rebranding or and all that, Mark, I would love to hear, um, do you, like, what is the likelihood of the royal family, like the press around them kind of, simmering down like what what would be the necessary step here should they kind of step back from the spotlight like since the public opinion is a little bit appears to be a little bit divided are they would a rebrand help them like what you know what would your take be I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think they are a brand um, they call themselves the firm in the past um, but I mm-hmm. don't think they, they 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 are used to um, saying little. Let, let's just for a second remember that remarkable response, and I think brevity and the choice of language is all in this in this uh, modern communication sphere we all either comment or work on. And after the Oprah interview, the first response was very much a beautifully crafted, um, not so much a put down, but an expression of what they felt. And it said the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan Mm -hmm. and Archie will always be much-loved family members. That was a beautiful crafted statement that said it all. And why I bring that up as an example is is actually they are much more comfortable in saying as little as possible. What I think Charles and Camilla represent, as I said earlier, is a caretaker um, management, as it were, Um, but they're not going to be pretend to be anything that they're not. I think they're going to be very authentic. And I think authenticity plays well in this world um, that we exist in. And but they what they can't actively be as dynamic and as forthright as um, Meghan and um, and and Harry and the strategy must be how do you bring them back in? Uh, because if you don't, you're going to have a very powerful institution working on a completely different time zone, another content who are very much have got the empathy of much younger people. And, you know, there is still a tradition that controls just how they work with the media. In the past, they've turned to some significant 
advertising uh, mega names in the past, particularly at the death of um, Diana, uh, where there was a real Annas Horribilis for, for the crown. And some very important thinkers helped them modernize. And there was a resistance at that time, as I was told, um, because Diana had taken it quite a long way. And in a sense, there is a footprint of her in the life of, of Harry. Um, and we have the problem of the Commonwealth. Um, because there are a number of old empire nations, Commonwealth nations, who want their own determined future. And they don't see themselves lashed to this vehicle um, uh, where they want to determine their own sovereignty. So that's going to be a lot of negativity that the press are going to seize on. And I think that that's the problem is that there is more um, juice, there's more clickbait in negativity than there is in positivity. So they've got to be true to themselves age appropriate, providing a situation other people do and trying to, you know, prove that they have modern values um, that at least can gain some empathy. Um, and, you know, it's the most difficult job in the world. And because clearly they're damned sometimes if they do things and they're damned if they don't do things. Um, and so this is why they seize on these national occasions, you know, to express what this heritage brand can actually do. And, and there will be a lot of people coming into London. There'll be a lot of pubs. There'll be a lot of brands, you know, thanking people. But it's right. You know, the commentary that I've heard is correct. You know, many of the values of sitting on golden thrones and all that, all that pomp and ceremony. And I think that's why the Meghan and Harry um, Netflix documentary uncoupled them from reality because many of the things that they were positing as their peace, their serenity, their new life, millions of people watching that couldn't connect with that. They would never achieve having their family taken by a private plane or living in 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 a in a, in a house owned by some tech billionaire, whoever owned it. It is it is a reality check that those sort of people caught into this bubble sometimes lose a reach. And that's what I think the sensible heads will be doing is trying to bring people back to understand what the modern sensibility is and how do you move in that in a slimmed down family. And we haven't also mentioned the elephant in the room, which is Prince Andrew. Um, here is here is someone who's created massive negativity for the royal family in the main accusations that have been posited against him. Um, so it hasn't been a great time. So they'll be going through renewal, but also, you know, how do they commit themselves in a time of great uncertainty in the world? Mark, I have a quick follow up. question. Sorry, Rebecca, I have a quick follow up question because this is all very fascinating. So, um, Mark, you said that. <clears throat> In Mark, I mean, um, in Harry and Meghan's decision to tell their story on Netflix and tell the story that American audiences simply just can't relate to, do you think a, a different platform or a different form of telling their story would have been more effective or just in general, they kind of are all have so much working against them? Um, I, I think that they've chosen the channels effectively, Oprah is a pretty good one. The book, um, Spotify, um, other deals, big landmark speeches um, at big, at big institutions. The problem is you've got to choose your moments. And I think if I were to comment on what they've done is they've thrown too much at it too soon. 
There hasn't been a time for silence, giving time for reflection move. They've expected the ball to be kicked back to them. They've expected a reaction. And what's happened is the royal family, to a certain extent, has ignored them, knowing that they had the coronation fast approaching, which would be the identity. So they've thrown a lot. That's why we've seen silence, because a lot of people have been disconnecting. There's so much noise and so much emotion, so much visceral pain. There's only so much an audience can take. And I think they've leaned back on that because I think they've disrupted their own network and think, OK, we've we've heard it now. Let's have a bit of peace. Turn it down where I think they could have held out. Now, supposedly, there's another book coming. We're seeing um, we're seeing William in the high. Sorry, we're seeing Harry in the high court in the UK pursuing the tabloid media, um, getting his message across. Um, if you, you know, looking for privacy, yet he would turn up at the front of the house, coming into the court, making statements about how corrupt the British media is. Um, you know, he 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 he's picking a pretty big battle there, um, and he 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 could win. Um, but the winning the battle one doesn't necessarily win a war, as the royal family knows. It's an ongoing um, dirty skirmish in the trenches, and um, you know they haven't spoken about it yet. They've been very elegant about how they've dealt with it, and to a certain extent, they've undermined them um, to push them actually to be silent. I don't expect them to be silent much longer. Uh, Harry is coming to the coronation. Um, Megan isn't. Um, that is a statement in itself. Go fish for any answers on that. Um, but you know they'll never be far away. They're, they're, it's very much the same as the abdication um, of Edward and Mrs. Simpson that carried through a narr narrative for the fifties, where the media were very much um, captured um, by the royal family. They. They were in awe and in fear of them and didn't pursue them in the way that it began in the 80s and 90s. But it's a different world now. And as we've all alluded to, social media, we can see every day the shifting opinion and dialogue about them. It's just absolutely fascinating, like how much has changed since the, the Queen's coronation 70 years ago. First time cameras were allowed on Westminster Abbey. And we just could have never imagined how much media and the internet and everything that comes with it could span and progress and then. So I think, yeah, you're you're right, Mark. It's, there's so much for them to handle now and they need to be seen as walking this line between being royal but also being real people and relatable and authentic. So I think that will be the next challenge for King Charles. Um, Brett, I'm really keen to hear your view on, on where they should go next. But first, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming, to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. 
Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Okay, welcome back. Um, and Britt, just to kind of finish things off, like a word that yourself and Mark have both used consistently here is authentic. And you've also both used the word relatable. Um, and you guys have mainly used that in terms of Harry and Meghan and how they've gone straight to the source. But I'm keen to hear if you think that's what the royal family needs moving forward. I'm talking about the royal family, Charles, Camilla, Kate and Wills. Like, do they need to pull back the curtain a bit and, and make themselves more relatable, use social media a bit more? What do you think the public wants from them? Well... To be honest, I don't know if I can ever see that working for Charles. Like, I think there's too much history there in how people perceive him to really move that around. I think the best thing he could do, and I'm not an expert, was just to con um, continue showing, I guess, more genuine action and in showing whether the crown can have a positive role to play in society. So whether that's through charitable action or the, the environment, which he's really passionate about, I don't really see Charles and Camilla on TikTok anytime soon, but I, I mean, would <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> oh, that would be, I think that's the move, honestly, to go on TikTok. <laughs> Maybe so. Dad and mum dancing. It sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what platform would work for them. Be real? Mm. Oh, you know what? There's limited interaction there. It should just be a static, you know, point of view. I think that could work for them. No more well, shots of Golden way. Thrones. Yeah, no more. Less shots of Golden Thrones. Yeah, that is a good piece of advice, I think. Um, but either way, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure we'll all see it in a future series of The Crown. I uh, hope so. Which, as Mark reminds us, is fiction, not fact. But this has been a fascinating discussion. And I do think that the royal family are a brand. They're not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, just such an interesting topic and, and one to watch. So thank you, Mark and Brittany. And thank you, Luz. And thank you, listeners. Cheers. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. 
Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.